Hi, everyone. Before we get into today's interview, just wanted to drop a little reminder to stay up to date with all the latest episodes of On the Margin. You can subscribe to the BlockWorks Background YouTube. Just go up there, just click the little uh, subscribe button, or you can click the links at the top of this episode. It'll take you over to Apple, Spotify, whatever your preferred platform is. Just subscribe there. If you could, leave a rating and review. Really appreciate it. All right, on with the show. All right, everyone, welcome back to another weekly roundup edition of On the Margin. Today, I'm joined, as always, by my victorious co-host, Mr. Mark Yusko. I'm going to apply that adjective to you, but I think it applies to everyone who is pro-Bitcoin and crypto these days, because been a good week for, for, good a, week. for the crypto space. Victory. Victory is our cry. I'm actually going up there, oh, up there this weekend to uh, celebrate our victory in Ireland, where you were, mm-hmm. um, but also to uh, watch. We're, we're having Battle of the Bands. So there's some team... Middle Tennessee, that damn great band. My wife wants to see the band, so we're going. They're going to bring some guys to play football. I, I don't think it's too much of a football game. But quick reveal, um, I got I got half the Irish flag, so I got the orange pants, and uh, I have the Bitcoin roller coaster socks. Nice. So, and it's, you know, even though it has been a victorious week in a lot of ways, which we'll talk about, man, it has been up and down and up and down to go nowhere. Yeah, roller coaster. It has been a summer of of nowhere. And and that's okay. Um but and we'll talk about some whys, but yeah, it Victor, I like Victorious. It's good. Yeah. I mean, let, let's talk about this this historic win for uh, really Grayscale and GBTC, but moreover it represents an almost decade long at this point struggle for a Bitcoin spot ETF. And you know, to give you some history on that, I think the the Winklevi launched the first application back in about 2017, I think it was. Yep. And yep. since then, there have been a slate of applications for a Bitcoin spot ETF, which has always been rejected for various reasons, usually around market surveillance. And uh, last, uh, I think it was 2021, end of 2021, we got our first uh, step in the right direction, which was a futures ETF. And the big reason why we got a futures but not a spot Bitcoin ETF was because of uh, market surveillance and all of this trading for a futures uh, ETF. Oh, come on, Michael. No, 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 no. We're going <laughs> straight to Sinister Saturday. <laughs> not the future yeah. so that JP Morgan and BlackRock could drive the price down. That is... The only reason the futures ETF was passed. They needed someone to take the long side of their shorts. Yeah. And to the day, to the day, November 6th, top of the market, straight down 84% from that. Yeah. It was so I, I I will so I'll we'll, we'll get to the sinister Saturday political interpretation of this because I I you know I usually push back on you but I do think there's pretty ripe uh, there's there's reason to think that might actually be the case here but I will say the uh, outside of even just the futures ETF uh, launching ETFs and especially CME products has a curse in crypto so when <laughs> this goes all the way back to 2017 right when they you know, launched but of course the- it does because. And it's, it's true of any commodity. It's a classic commodity on trend indicator. You have commodities. You think, oh, it'll be so cool. We'll have a futures contract. No, you idiot. In the, in the days of real commodities, physical, tangible commodities, if I wanted, wanted to sell you, Michael, a barrel of oil, I actually had to have 
a barrel of oil or access to a barrel of oil that I could sell you, that I could deliver to you. Imagine that, a contract that has to be fulfilled. And some engineer, you know, financial engineer, came, whoa, we, we get a paper contract. And you guys could agree to sell a barrel of oil, but, but Mark doesn't actually have to have a barrel of oil. So essentially he's making a barrel of oil out of thin air, a paper barrel. Oh, but I couldn't get one. So, you know, we'll just cancel the contract. And so it creates a lot of um, liquidity. It does create liquidity, particularly for hedgers, right? People who want to sell their product in, in the future, like oil producers and, and gold producers and miners. So that was a perfectly good use case. But the problem yeah. is... If I can create a paper something out of thin air, sounds like fiat, then bad things happen. And so whenever in history you saw a huge increase in the number of paper something, like paper barrels of oil to the physical barrel of oil, we had a market dislocation and prices would collapse. And so I will argue that you can go back to your point, December 18th, 2017. I remember the day specifically because I tweeted that day, this was going to be a bad day. And, you know, Bitcoin was like $20,000. We're like, you're an idiot. You're a fucking idiot. It was a bad day. And yeah. we went straight down 87%. Uh, what what was it that CME launched back then? I, I can't remember the actual. First point. Futures contract. First Futures. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. that was the first futures contract on December 18th, 2017. And that, again, allowed people to go short. And it's just that that's, look, if you can go naked short and you have a large capital base, you can control the price of a commodity. Ask any gold investor for the last decade what they think about JP Morgan. Mm. And you'll get a discussion of spoofing and, and look, the gold ETF was held up for three and a half years mm. until JP Morgan said, okay, we got all our shorts on. Now we need some longs. Go for it. Yeah. So, so to, tie, to tie it back to Bitcoin here, it's, it is good to give sort of a history of commodity-based ETFs and their pros and cons and why they exist. Probably the most benevolent, right? I mean, the reason why they exist is because clearly there's demand, right? To trade something that isn't actual a physical barrel of oil. It, it decreases an enormous amount of friction there. There's also the a very real- Have been around for a long time. Right. The driven, I mean, people forget the physical market, commodities, stocks, bonds, pretty small. Mm. A derivative market, holy moly. It's ginormous. Mm. And- you know, the stock derivative market is big. Commodity derivative market is big. The bond derivative market. I was just Huge. on a call with, with one of the greatest um, bond derivative arbitrageurs of all time. This, this uh, uh, guy uh, who runs this, this hedge fund it used to be called Providence. Um, and I mean, the guy's like a mad genius. And mm -hmm. It's, it's the whole thing about slicing and dicing mortgages into pieces and IOs and POs and all this stuff. And he just does, like he was saying, we have a model that uh, it takes every, every month, 3 million to 20 million individual mortgage. It's like, think about a model that can download all that data and, and yeah, that, that's an edge. 
But these, there's definitely demand for derivatives. That doesn't necessarily mean it's good, particularly for price of those assets in any short-term period. That I agree with. That I agree with. But the, you know, the, the real, re- like if you were to just take the most steel man case for why, why they're a good thing and why they exist outside of just, we should allow two willing participants to enter into any sort of contract Amen. that they want, right? Amen. Anyone should be able to do that. But the, the, the reason that they're good is, let's say you're a large, just to use an example, OEM for cars, your BMW, something mm-hmm. like that. Well, you have an enormous amount of exposure to steel as raw material. Steel mm-hmm can go up or down 50 or even 100% over the course of a year. The price of your car doesn't change. Why does the price of your car not change? Because there's a futures market. And what GM can do at the beginning of the year is say, hey, I'm going to buy these contracts that allow me to lock in the futures price of steel. It's not to speculate. The objective is to not make or lose money. It is to simply have- No, that's the hedgers. They are hedgers. They're hedging a cost. The speculator, and again, speculator is not an evil term, is simply- the other side of that trade. Exactly. It's it, it's That's like the alchemy is. alchemy of finance, baby. It, if you didn't have, this is why I always push back, by the way, on people who say crypto is just speculation. Speculation is what enables you to create useful financial products. 30-year mortgage is not an animal that you find in the wild. It is because there are a bunch of bond market degens who are willing to take the other side of that trade. So- Although in this case, there's probably the banks and the central banks. <laughs> but no, no, no. That's, that's, that's a story for another time. Well, yeah. no, no, no. But, but, that's a, but that, to your point, right? And we've talked about this, right? Investors buy things when they trade below fair value, right? That, that's mm-hmm. what an investor does. They, they buy things that they think are on sale. Traders, they don't give a crap. If it's above fair value, below, they, they, just, they want motion right? They, mm. they, just, they just want to trade. And the high-frequency traders, they just trade more often. And again, not evil, not good or bad. Speculators are simply the necessary opposite side of hedgers. Right. Hedging and right. speculating must go hand in hand, just like buyers and sellers. Again, not evil. When it gets evil is when you add leverage to that speculation now you're just gambling because you don't really have a view or you may have a view and you're amplifying that, that, that speculative bet. But it's, it's when, and actually, I'm going to take that back. If you're a speculator with a view, right? If you actually believe oil is going to change in price because you have information on supply and demand, I'm, that's fine. And you want to amplify that, fine. Still a gamble, but... The, the, the one I have problem with is the day traders who then lever with no knowledge. Right. Like, this thing's going up. AMC's going up. I'm buying it. I'm buying options. And I'm le-. and then it goes down and they're like, wow, how did that happen? Because you have no idea what you're doing. And that gamification of markets is facilitated by those vehicles. Like options are not evil. Options contracts are are a good thing. The the fact that there's more volume in options than the underlying S&P contract today, that's a problem. Yeah. So just again, to to trace like the, the original sort of purpose of a 
of a commodities ETF. It's it's a it's a vehicle for hedging, and then the other side of that is speculation. And corp in a in a steelman, good reason why these things exist. It's corporates that are hedging out their raw material exposure, be that steel or uh, oil or whatever else it is. Okay, now the the other side of that is the way these contracts are structured. And a really good example, by the way, of how this can go haywire is when the price of oil went negative for a little bit is you have to take physical delivery in the construction of many of these ETFs of the underlying commodity. And the reason why the oil ETFs went, the price of oil went negative is because nobody want, we ran out of space to store the oil. So it was actually a liability. Well, we didn't run out. This is the set again, sinister. Saudi went to the Houston Ship Channel and bought up all the storage. Literally, right. it, it was, up, filled it up. There was no place to put the oil. Right. So, deliver it. And then those guys went out and bought giant pieces of BP and Shell when oil prices went negative and they bought Carnival Cruise Lines and, but, that is market manipulation. It's not insider trading, so it's not illegal. That is old-fashioned market manipulation. Should be illegal, but, but it's not. So the, the last point that I wanted to communicate here is this idea of roll costs. Usually when people are trading yeah. a commodities ETF is, hey, if it's US oil, there's a, there's a very large oil ETF. Maybe what I want to do is I either want to hedge here or I just want exposure to the price of, of oil, which is a good or a bad thing. It's a thing that people should be allowed to do. But what I never want to do is take possession of the oil myself. So this ETF cool. will just No place roll. to store. Swimming they'll, pool, oil, bad. Right. They'll, they'll essentially, at the end of these contracts, right, there's a bunch of individual futures contracts with different expiry dates. What, the, what these ETFs will do is say, the, the participants do not want to actually take physical delivery. We are going to essentially extend the contract again. There's a cost for doing it. That's something called a roll cost. And that eats into your profitability as a holder of that ETF. And what you'll see over time is that an ETF, the, the underlying and the ETF price tends to diverge over time as those roll costs eat into your return. So when there was a Bitcoin futures ETF that got launched, again, because all the trading was happening on one major exchange, which was CME. The SEC argued, we can make sure that the market isn't being manipulated so you can launch a futures exchange. All, people in crypto were like, hey, this actually isn't a very great product. And this is going to this is gonna hurt average everyday investors that don't understand things like roll costs. Critical to the reason of why they allowed, to, the SEC allowed a futures Bitcoin ETF, but not a spot. They made the argument that there is not a mathematically tight relationship between a spot and futures market, which, which the thought at the time was that that doesn't seem to line up logically, uh, and this is where this all comes to a head. So grayscale. How do we? How do people let intelligent, otherwise intelligent people claim stupid stuff that's just not true as if it were fact, and no one busts them on it? Well, someone did bust them on it. Okay, <laughs> grayscale busted them on it, and they took him to court and they sued him. And it finally wound up in a U.S. Uh, D.C. Uh, appeals court, and this judge saw, essentially sided with with GBTC. Now, what this mean? This does not mean that immediately we're going to get uh, the uh, court is going. The SEC has to allow GBTC to convert into an ETF. What it does mean is that now the SEC has to go back and revisit that decision, and specifically the court 
objected to, it was really around that line of, of reasoning that a spot in future, the spot in futures markets are not correlated. So they've really boxed the SEC in, in terms of their, their line of reasoning for why a spot ETF wasn't allowed. Now, the legal opinions, I'm not a lawyer, I'm taking this from people that I follow, is that the, the court came out with such a strong opinion here that it's unlikely that they would appeal this to the Supreme Court and the Supreme Court probably wouldn't hear it anyway. That would yeah. be the next step. So now the SEC has to go back and make a decision and they sort of have two options. And one of the things that they could do is to say, actually, we were wrong about the futures ETF as well. So we're just not going to allow futures ETFs. That's probably pretty unlikely. There's a billion dollars worth of assets in these futures ETFs from big companies like ProShare. So that's probably not going to happen. But the other thing that they that's could do is- really object- good insight, though, that They could go that way. They if could. they wanted to double down, like literally down, and like dig themselves even for like the the thing is if you're in a hole, stop digging. Right. But if they just want to, you know, scoop more stuff, that's what they would do. And um, as dumb as I don't think they're dumb. I think their behavior has been dumb. So I want to make that very clear. I actually don't think they're dumb people. I, I think their behavior is dumb. It's illogical. And I don't like that. So as illogical as I think they're, I don't think they're that dumb. I, yeah, I, I don't either. And I, I don't think, so I don't think they'll do that. The other thing that they could do is object on new grounds that they haven't voiced uh, in the past. And that could be around custody. So we know they've already started to crack down against uh, custodians, especially those based out of the US that aren't qualified custodians, which is a very specific definition. There's a bunch of boxes you have to check to be a qualified custodian. Yeah. And so they, they could object around that. So that's a very real possibility. That yeah. said, the you know if you want to look at the, the two guys at Bloomberg who I follow on this are James Seifert and Eric Balkunas. Both of them have these sort of running probabilities about when a Bitcoin spot ETF is going to get approved. There's a 75% chance now that there's going to be an ETF by the end of this year and a 95% chance by the end of yeah. next year. So I these are obviously subjective. Be... But... Sorry. I was just going to say, those are obviously subjective, but it seems like the general consensus here is that, frankly, a lot of, we'll talk about Uniswap as well, because there's another big court uh, crypto victory in, in court, but it seems like the justice system to really just cap all this off, the courts are objecting to the ruling by enforcement approach that the a regulation by enforcement approach that the SEC has been taking this past year. Well, uh, yes, and and look, here's the thing. Fine, you wanna you wanna regulate by enforcement. Okay, not not really a good way to run an agency, and but we've had other agencies do it. We've had the FDA do it for a while. We've had the um, uh, a couple other. Yeah, they're blank. I'm blanking on, but we've 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 seen it, right? We've seen very political people do very political things. The problem is, if you're regulating a law or a rule, and someone doesn't comply with it, you're on pretty solid ground, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, if you regulate air. Like, well, we were going to pass this rule, so you should have known we were going to pass this rule, and therefore you violated it. That, that's kind of what they did with BlockFi and, and Voyager and those guys. They're like, well, you violated this law, like, but, but you didn't say it was a law. You actually said the opposite. You said they weren't securities. Well, 
but you should have known we were going to change our mind. Oh my God, really? Um, okay. So that seems destined for failure, which we've seen number of failures, but the, what, what, but what the SEC did here, which is just, and they're just getting smacked every which way from Sunday. If you basically take a bad position against an established law, a judge, unless, unless you can handpick the judge and like we see in billions, if you can pay them off and do it, unless you can do that, you're in trouble because right. a good, honest, independent judge is going to do their job. And they're going to say, no. And we saw that in the Ripple case. We saw it in this case. We saw it in the Uniswap case. So thankfully, we got some good, honest judges, which they do still exist. Um, but I, I still believe, right, that the bigger powers that are controlling this particular person who's on this enforcement kick, I still think he's kind of the, the pawn, the tool, right? He was installed into this position and he's like, okay, now I got to go do these things that they're telling me to do, which is okay. Um, and there's probably some of his own personal stuff in there too. But, but ultimately, I don't think those powers that be are done fighting. And, and to your, I think your, your insight on custody is really, really important because in the early days, you know, Jay Clayton would get up there on the stage and he and I actually did a panel on this together. And he would say, it's about market manipulation. We can't approve this because these markets are manipulated. And I was like, wow, you mean more manipulated than the penny stocks and, and the low float stocks, like, I don't know if you've been following this VinFast mm -mm. EV company. Oh, my God. This is crazy. This, this is an EV manufacturer from Vietnam. It's 98% owned by this Vietnamese conglomerate. And they floated 2%. This stock has just gone totally parabolic. They've sold, they've, they haven't, I don't even know if they sold cars yet. They, they produce scooters and they sold a bunch of scooters, e-scooters. And they've produced, I think, and that's in air quotes, 11,000 vehicles. Yeah. And I don't even know if they've actually sold them yet. Maybe they have. I, I don't know. But this thing has like a $60 billion market cap, Michael. And, and, I, and I know it's bad. Because my nephew texted me, hey, do you know about this company? I'm like, oh God, stop. No, do not buy it. Run away. Don't short it because it, it could double before it goes down 98%. But it's going to go down 98%. So that's where we are. So if you want to talk about market manipulation, just look at your own you know, market. Somebody approved that IPO. That is a US IPO of a total sham. I won't say fraud, but it's a sham. I mean, it's a Ponzi. And there was a company like that in 2000. There was a husband and wife that had a consulting company and they owned 99% and they listed 1%. And every day 
that 1% would turn over like 400 to 500 times in the chat rooms and all this. And they would just sell another 1% every day. And they made billions. And then the stock went to zero because there was no, there was no there there. And so if that can get approved, why can't this, a spot ETF, a Bitcoin, is about as safe as any spot commodity ETF or, or mutual fund that we've ever had. Yeah. Just it. Well, if, if I had to take the, I, I hear what you're saying with that. If I had to take the other side though, you know, if I was looking at this from a very speculative angle, price discovery happens in many instances on these offshore unregulated exchanges, which look, to give some credit, I don't know how uh, clearly some of them are not run with integrity visa be FTX. Yep, that, sure was, that, that, was the, that was, that was global stock markets. Right. 50 years I, ago. True. True. I, I just want to give some credit here actually to Coinbase because I think a lot of the reason why this has been approved, right. is because of these agreements with Coinbase. Coinbase is the exchange. I think they're going to be the custodian for these ETFs as well. So having a blue chip onshore regulated exchange based out of the U S huge in terms of passing these things. Really important insight because (laughs) before I got distracted, right. The first was Jay Clayton saying the market's manipulated. Right. Mm, No, no, no. It's not any more manipulated than any other markets. Okay. Then when he left and, and GG came in, it was, you know, we don't trust the price discovery. Right. Mm. Okay. But, Again, we had the stock market and we had mutual funds at times when we had the Pacific Stock Exchange and the London Stock Exchange. You could drive a truck through the the bid-ass spread and people made a living doing that. This guy, Brett Brett Hull, right? He got banned. It's an amazing story. So he was doing this in the options market and he literally got banned from the Pacific Options Exchange or something. I can't remember the exact story. So he moved to Chicago and became super famous and then Goldman bought his company and all this stuff. But so price discovery, I'm not even going to go, I'm not, I'm not even going to let that because we have pretty decent, you know, price discovery. And on the fringes, maybe there's some weird prices, but, but the point on custody is real. And look, we don't want two guys and their dog like Mt. Gox, you know, being the centralized custody for, for, for our assets that are going to be in these, these funds. So the fact that we do have world-class companies like Coinbase, that can be, and you know, here's the funny part, right? BlackRock, which is going to get approved. It's just going to get approved. And it's going to be the only one that gets approved. Mm. And maybe after they collect 20, 30 billion, then others will get approved, but, but they're going to get approved first. Guess who they're working with? Coinbase. Coinbase. And yeah. that, that to me says so much that, you know, one, this is coming, right? There's 755 for 756. I, I'm, 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 I'm staking, the, you know, the, the stake in the ground. This is not going to be the second denial for them. Too much for them to lose to even throw their hat in the ring. They could have just said, Y'all have fun. It's an index of money laundering. That's what Larry said, you know, five years ago, six years ago. So could have just stuck with that. But nope, they, they, when I say they, I mean, they, the incumbents want 
all this stuff in their clutches. Yeah. So can can you let let's try to guess a little bit here at the future and how this is going to play out. Let's just assume that ETS will be approved. So yep. the pertinent questions to me feel like one, I'd love to understand how you see the price impact here. So when this when this decision became public, Bitcoin ripped up, right? Went from something like 25 to 28, roughly within that sort of ballpark. Basically, completely retraced all of those gains so far. So, we'd love to get your your thoughts on the immediate price well, impact. It's, it's you know a little bit of buy the rumor, sell the news. But there wasn't any news, so that's not it. I mean, it was it was buy the rumor. But here's the thing, and we've we've seen this movie before. We know exactly how it goes. GBTC, right? Big winners this week. The last run when we went from 10,000 to 60,000 the first time was all GBTC, right? GBTC got to $20 billion. And the reason the price went up so much is what people forget, the vast majority of Bitcoin is either not movable, right? It's in a multi-sig and there's some problem or, or whatever lost or stolen, hodler, I'm not selling for anything, right? And so it's round numbers. Like this is one of those 85% of all statistics are made up on the spot. <laughs> I'm going to argue 80-ish percent is that. And so 20% is kind of the free float. So back in the last cycle, you know, the market cap was a couple hundred billion. So if a couple hundred billion, 10, 20% of that is 40 billion, if you get 10 billion of flow on a $40 billion free float, price is going to go ballistic. And it did. And remember, it was fast. We went from 10 to 60 fast. And you know, then Elon came out with his tweet and it went down and then it recovered back up to 69 or whatever. And that was the end on the day of the futures. So this time, and, and I give all credit to, to Eric, who I, you know, we were going to have join us today, but Eric Balconis is a great analyst. And, and he did the math, right? He, he tracks the money that's in the kind of RIA and the people who use mutual funds and ETFs. And there's about 30 trillion dollars. Okay. It's a lot of money. So when, and I'm going to say when, when the ETF is approved, money's coming in, right? Right now, UBS can't do it. Merrill Lynch can't do it. All of these big RAs can't do it. Soon as that ETF's approved, bang, they'll all have to ascend. So let's say 0.1%. Mm. Okay. 0.1%. $30 billion. $30 billion. So today, market cap's around half a trillion. 20% of that's $100 billion. 30 on 100, that's a similar amount. 10 versus 40. I think we go pretty parabolic. Now, we don't have as much leverage this time, so it probably doesn't do a 5x. But a 3x not not even a hard move but that's 0.1% if 1% right my hashtag get off zero if you go from zero to one 
1%, which is not a lot. And had you done that five years ago, your portfolio would have compounded at 200 basis points better. So people are going to see that math and Barry and others are going to put that out there. 1%, that's 300 billion. 300 billion on 100 billion of free float. Katie Barley-Moore, baby. Katie barley (laughs) All right. Mark, I've got, I want to do a lightning round of questions here because I still want to get to some macro stuff. And, but I, I've got more questions for you on this and then we can okay. end it and move on to the macro. So GBTC, what's the future there? Because one, there's $630,000 worth of, uh, 630,000 Bitcoin sitting within that fund right now. Yep. It has been probably a pretty unhappy 630K Bitcoin because they've been sitting at a discount to NAV for a long period of time. They've been locked up in this closed end fund and they've been paying 2%. So A, if this was were to get transitioned to an ETF, what do you think Barry does with the fees? Right now, he's clipping 2% management fees. He'd probably have to bring that down to 35 basis points. Do you think that he does that? Two, do you think that Bitcoin moves? Is this, is this, is this, yeah. is this supply that's going to come online then? Do you, should people be worried about 630K worth of Bitcoin? That's a, oh, man, that's a great question. So um, if he can't get it converted before... The BlackRock, bad. Yes, that will get liquidated in 10 heartbeats because the only place people, now at UBS, you can't even own GBTC. Like I've tried and you can't. So, but there are a whole bunch of people at the independent RIAs and other channels that do own GBTC, um, you know, Schwab and, and the other things. And if you can, if you can get an ETF, at 35 basis points. I, I don't remember what BlackRock fee said they were going to charge, but uh, in regards to be less than 2%, you will sell GBTC so fast, uh, it'll make your head spin. So they're in a tough place because it's kind of like John Goodfriend, which was aptly named because he had no friends at the time with long-term capital. Um, he needed friends. And they all abandoned him. And, um, you know, so I, I, that's, that's Barry needs to be able to convert either simultaneously or before the first ETF gets approved. And as I understand it, the court case didn't do that. The court case just said, now you can have your application get back in line and they can't just say, I'm not going to look at it. And it's going to be so far behind. I I think he's got a a tough one. Yeah. That's a, that's a really good point. The other thing that I wanted to ask you about is I'm, I'm just going to caveat and say I'm leading the witness here a little bit, but let me line up three factors for you here. So just after our roundup last week, we had Jackson hole. All right. The market thinks there's a margin. There's a better chance now that we're going to get one more rate hike, but the market is generally pricing in something that looks like rate cuts midway through next year. So midway through next year, we've got the potential for the first rate cut. Yeah, We've got all of these ETF applications coming due, final decisions on the BlackRock ETF specifically, March. And then we've got the halving in May. And I'm just watching all three of these things come together. And we're getting good news that the market is shrugging off because they're still, still so depressed, which telegraphed a lot on this podcast, something I've been sort of looking for because it reminds me of 2019, objectively good things happening. We haven't even talked about the ETH futures ETF, but that's coming as well. Right, right. 
And I'm just kind of looking at, you know, mid end of Q1, beginning of Q2 next year. It seems like things are kind of poised to take off. Am, am, I, am I totally wrong on that? On that nope, no, it's, it's great analysis. The parabolic move. Happy birthday to me, you know, <laughs> May 9th. Um, that's, you know, and, and look, the fall starts, you know, in my, in, on my calendars, June 15th of next year is when we go from summer to fall and fall is the parabolic stage before mm. the crash. And so sometime between May and June next year, like I said, I, I, I hate, I hate saying big numbers because people then poo poo you and say, oh, you're just, you know, pumping, you're just pumping. No, this is math, right? We know that the halving is an impetus for the price to double. You cut the block rewards in half, prices have to double to adjust to pay the miners. It's happened every other halving. So that means we go, you know, if we, if we just stayed where we are, that's 26 to 52. Well, if fair value, which I believe, according to Tim Peterson, who we've had on the show, is in the low 50s, that doubling is really a hundred. And with all this new supply coming in, I mean, I'm sorry, new demand coming in with no supply. Now the, the, the supply could get impacted because again, such a good insight on if Barry gets forced to liquidate, that will temper some of the short-term impact of the new flows. But a wave of, of uh, liquidity, interest rate cuts would would change things as well. So look, 150 would not be a crazy move above that, that new fair value of 100. And just like we saw that 10 to, to 50 in, in five heartbeats, could you get a, a 30 to 120 move? Yeah, I think you could. Yeah. I, I have no idea, but I just, I'm, I feel like I'm just watching these factors line up. And even there, there was a period of time, especially around the FTX and Celsius and Voyager bankruptcies and all this stuff where you were looking at these big pots of supply and being like, oh my gosh, what, what, what are we going to do here? They're, they're, these, these numbers look big enough that they could sink the entire market. And I'm just even recognizing this within myself. I'm now looking at the grayscale and there's a Solana, there's a, a, an amount that the FTX estate has recovered from Solana, which is pretty significant. Look, you get a couple more sale opportunities, right? I mean, I, that I, I yep. mentally, that's where, that's where I'm at right now, but not financial advice and could totally yeah. be wrong. Well, and then you got, you got, you got, uh, you know, crazy Kathy, uh, predicting $650,000 Bitcoin in six years. Yeah. <clears throat> so I mean, look, I, Directionally, she's always right. I mean, I'm a hyperbolic personality, but she makes me look, you know, calm and measured. I mean, that's just that's a that's a crazy forecast, but but directionally, yeah. she's right. Last question for you, and I feel like this is significant. I starting to notice a so we had the XRP ruling uh, a month and a half or so ago. Now we've got this. Uh, win in the form of GBTC. We didn't cover it, but can link link some stuff in the show notes. There was a big class action lawsuit that was filed against Uniswap that got thrown out, which has huge yep. implications for DeFi. And it seems like not only are the courts repudiating the regulation by enforcement approach that the SEC has been taking, 
it seems like there is a political sentiment shift going on as well. Let me, I'm going to share my screen here. There was an article that came out in the Wall Street Journal, and the publisher of this article is the editorial board of the Wall Street Journal. Now, so you can almost consider this a commentary from, from the paper, the publication itself. The title of this article is The SEC Strikes Out Again on Crypto with Grayscale. Gensler, the subheader, Gensler bids to match losing legal record of Lena Khan's FTC. Here's the, here's the, uh, here's the kicker on this. Where is this? All right, here's the quote. Mr. Gensler is holding Bitcoin spot ETPs hostage in his crypto market power grab. Until crypto exchanges register with the SEC, he won't authorize spot Bitcoin ETPs. Arbitrary regulation and regulatory overreaches are recurring themes of the Gensler SEC and the Biden administration. Is he trying to match Lena Khan's losing record at the Federal Trade Commission? First of all, ouch. Second of all- That was one I couldn't remember. There's the FTC. So we had the FDA, the FTC, and and now now GG. Um, Mark, this isn't a a crypto publication. This is the journal that's saying this. No, it's real. And, and it's and it's so real. And, and look, you've documented it so well over the past year that it's it's these incremental victories. And the thing I take away from it, not just the victory itself, but kind of like when when I, I say the quote, you can judge the quality of an idea by the quality of its detractors. If people mm. you don't care about hate your idea. It's probably not a very good idea. If people you admire and respect hate your idea, it's probably a pretty good idea, you know, because it's disruptive. And I think the same thing here. When courts, like real courts, like places that we admire and respect and are, you know, bound to, to obey once they rule, start to recognize this as a thing, as an asset, as a business, as an industry. I mean, think about that. We have now court precedent. It's it's not like it's going to zero, you know, the shifts and the Taleb's and all. Have you heard anybody say it's going to zero in the last six months? Or mm-mm. Peter Schiff's gone. Taleb gone. Nobody's out there saying, and it's because. These are legitimate organizations that are professionally arbitrating concepts and constructs and coming to rational, rational, logical conclusions. I'm not saying they're right. They're just rational and logical. And when they turn out to be positive for something I believe in, I'm happy, but I'm not, I'm not happy because of the outcome. I'm happy because the process works. And the process legitimizes the ideas and the work. And, you know, it's, it's interesting. In these times, bear market, post-bear market, it's hard, right? Mm. People are telling you, you're an idiot. You made a mistake. You should go back to your old life. And I don't have many retries. I'm, you know, I, I plan to work a long time, but I'm still at the tail end of my career. I'm not a 25-year-old. And so if you're 25, like, oh, whatever, I failed, just go do something else. I, I've had, I told you I had the existential crisis last December. I was, I was down. I was like, what the hell did I do? I mean, and, but 
every one of these events and and when I interact with people and I see the people and what they're building and what they're focused on and, and the talent migration that's still coming in, it's like, oh my God, this is all increasingly real. And I've always believed that the technology was foundationally correct, that it wasn't going back in the bottle and that blockchains are superior accounting systems. And the Bitcoin is a superior form of money. But I don't need it to be right that it's all money for everyone in the world tomorrow. No, I agree with that. We're heading in that direction where it's money for some. That's pretty amazing. So I, I think this incremental series of events is spectacular. I'm paraphrasing this from Santiago, Jason's co-host on Empire. He said this on another podcast. Empire. It, 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 I, I've never heard this Empire thing. Is this, is this not, another show or not something? Not worth your time. Not worth your time. It's like but, a warm-up uh, band, right? Yeah, so it's a warm-up. Yeah, exactly. It's a warm-up act. The, but what he, the way he expressed this was exactly how I think about it. I think the rhetoric that Bitcoin is going to overthrow governments and that stuff, first of all, it's nonsense. It doesn't really make sense when you think about it. I think it's counterproductive and it's not what I believe is not the future I want to see. Nope. I think crypto creates an alternative system that acts as a check and introduces competition to legacy systems. That's what I believe. And everyone is better when there's more competition involved. It makes everyone, you know, if I'm extracting too much rent, oh, you know, it's re- it's we're all humans, right? We don't want to do work. We want to extract a lot of rent. But see, here's the thing. The addition of competition we have makes everyone this. acts better, I think. Michael, we have this. And I don't know why people are freaking out about this. If you're a citizen... For the last however many thousands of years that we've had civilizations and, mm. and you didn't like the way your government was treating you, you had a refuge. Mm. You could take a portion of your wealth and move it into gold. Yeah. Right? And everybody, not everybody, but, but a lot of people have done that. Now... We have physical gold. We can still do that. But now we have digital gold for the digital age. And for the same reason that I like streaming music, I don't listen to my vinyl albums anymore. I love them. I keep them. They're like my whoobies. I'm not going to get rid of them. But I listen to streaming because digital music is a better form. It's more useful. I can move around. You know, changing the record album and washing it. It's just, it's just hard. Analog, electronic, digital. Analog gold is great. I love it. I have some. But digital gold is better. And gold is the base layer of money. All the other stuff's going to exist. All of it. Fiat, and they're going to destroy it, and they're going to piss it away, and they're going to, and I'm going to have to pay $5 for a candy bar instead of, you know, a nickel when I was growing up 20 years from now. But that's okay. Because the other stuff will go up too. But if they push you too far, like Venezuela, Argentina. I just, I just got invited yesterday to the pre-party uh, down in Argentina. This is amazing. I, I love the power of, of the internet. And so I got invited by an Argentinian to come down because she happens to be buddies with the, the guy who, who probably is going to win the presidency. And they're like, you should come be part of the party. I'm like, I'm not Argentinian, but but I, I've been supportive of Argentina. And obviously that's why, I, but like I might go. 
And, and that's pretty amazing that Argentina has pushed people so far. Listen to Wences Cesares. Everyone who's a Bitcoiner has to get Wences' first discussion of when he discovered it because his family had had their wealth stolen three times. Not once, not twice, three times. And he finally said, oh my God, I can protect my wealth from these kleptocrats. And we're not there yet. Here, Turkey, damn straight. Venezuela, damn straight. Argentina, damn straight. If you moved out of bolivars into Bitcoin, you're not poor. Yeah. We might still be poor, but you're not destitute. You're not done, right? Because the bolivars down 99.99999%. If you moved out of Argentinian pesos into Bitcoin, again, not all your money, but enough to have refuge, to have, it just, we've always had a system to fight back against the corruption. And the corruption has always existed. And when it's small, we deal with it because our life is pretty good. But when the corruption gets really, really bad, Zimbabwe, Argentina, whatever, you got to fight back. And, and she was telling me, she says, we want you to be part of the revolution. And it's not a revolution like guns and, and it's a revolution of people. They're going to potentially elect a guy who is real. Like he supports commerce and not what Kirshner has done and, and all the bad cronyism. Now, the question is, can he actually get across the finish line and win? You know, those people in power like to stay in power. But Anyway, I, I, this is such an important topic because it's it's the reason why we Bitcoin. And then people say, well, then why are you talking about shit coins? Like, because it's more than just the gold. There's so many other applications of digital in a digital world. There's room for Ethereum. There's room for other things. So stop. But but the main part of the the freedom and the protection, yeah, that's Bitcoin. I'm, I'm not going to use other things for that that little piece. Mm. Yeah, I, I've i kind of stopped engaging on that whole topic. I just find it like the people who are going to do that are going to do that. It's uh, yeah, it's, I, it's, it's, it's funny that within, so if you're outside of crypto, you're looking at it as one big thing, right? And then when you, when you get into it, you're, wow, there are these different, just like anything else, there are these different factions. And I think probably the enmity... It, uh, what's maybe different about this particular moment in time is the enmity between different inter-crypto factions is higher than it is even between uh, people who aren't in crypto and your right. faction. And it's, I, I, I don't know. I my feelings evolve on this. I see. I actually see the merit. I understand why it plays out that way. It's not how I view things. I love Bitcoin for what it is. I love some of the other innovation that's going on in crypto for what it is. I love I innovation. Where I want to spend my time. It's, it's, that yeah. should be our byline. We yeah. love innovation, right? That yeah. that. It, and how can you not? How can you how not? How can you not? How can you not? We got to go in three minutes, but I want to do a lightning round here because we had jobs come out today. Now, the the quick high-level summary is that we had a beat, a very slight beat in terms of non-farm payroll, 187K versus 170K expected. One thing that people have been pointing out is that every time we get a new non-farm payroll, it gets revised lower the, the, the next month. So employment in June and July combined is 110,000 lower than was previously reported. Uh, Mike Green has a great chart of this, the sort of 
what well, no the one pays pro- attention to the revision. No one pays attention to the revision. So every non-farm payroll got revised be, lower. No one's talking about the revision. Getting revised lower and lower. So, you know, on top of that, we had a, a record low jolts. Um, so that was a little bit. And I guess the question is, it's the, it's the limbo question mark that I've been asking you for four months, which is what's going on in the employment or with employment. And do you yeah. think that's going to turn? Is no, employment is, is soft and getting softer. The ADP number was horrible. Wage growth had plummeted. The NFP number, we've talked about it. 75% of it is bogus. It's, they're still using the birth-death ratio because they haven't declared a recession. So technically, we're you know in this long expansion. No, we're not. We're a year in an expansion. We had a recession. We don't, mm-hmm. You don't want to call it a recession, fine, but we had a recession. It was a shallow recession in 2022. We are one year into an economic expansion, and it's slow. And you know we're, we're growing sub-2%. That is stall speed. That is not super fast. So unemployment should be soft. I mean, not unemployment, employment should be soft. And it is. And that's not surprising. And look, I I have a bunch of friends whose kids were laid off in the recent round of tech layoffs. There are 650,000 people that used to work at Google and Yahoo and all these other tech companies. 650,000. I mean, that is not an insignificant number. And so everything is softer except for one thing. I said that was just on with this mortgage guy. And, and look, this guy is the best mortgage analyst in the country, bar none. I mean, he, he's just that good. And he, he showed me this great chart. The average annual cost of mortgage literally is near the lowest it's ever been at about $10,000 a year. Now, in the last 24 months, it's jumped to $27,000 a year. So if you actually have to get a new house or if you get transferred and you actually have to go in the office and you can't work remote or whatever, for a very small fraction of people, they're not loving this. But a whole bunch of people, like the vast majority of people, are paying $10,000 a year because they have a 2%, 3% mortgage how average entry price was $231,000. They're awesome. So there's not any stress. It's not the global financial crisis. Here's a crazy stat. And I won't make you wait as long as I did. So in California, where there are 40 million people, many of which who own homes, how many HUD, housing and urban development loan, you know, government guaranteed loans are in default today? I couldn't even ballpark it. What what is it? Just give me give me any number. 30%. 32. The number 32. Oh, 32. I said 30%. Too. It's a great minds think alike. I said 30%. And he's like, 32. So there's not this massive stress that people normally associate with downturns because the recession was so shallow and because we gave people a trillion in 2020 but then you keep pointing this out the deficit has exploded and we pumped another trillion of fiscal into the economy and what people don't really understand there's a whole bunch of people who used to be on unemployment now they're on disability 
They filed disability payment for stress. I love that. How can you be disabled because you have stress? Lots of people. <laughs> do that. But literally, they get paid a wage just to hang out. And that number kind of offset the drop in unemployment payments. So again, things are okay. So yes, employment's softer, but the world, particularly in the US, is pretty okay because of that very long period of ZERP. Now we've normalized back to 7% mortgage rates, which is normal, and, and you know 5% savings rates, which is normal. But what's, what's going to happen now, the money's fleeing the banks. One, because people don't trust them, which I believe was intentional to foment that so we can get a CBDC, but also just because you can get more money in a money market. So money market accounts are skyrocketing. Well, what happens if your banks lose deposits they can't lend as much. Now, loan demand has been down for a while, but as the economy picks up steam, you know, we're only a year into the recovery. As the economy picks up steam, as the young people get back to work, they're going to want loans. The banks aren't going to be able to make them. Mm. So fintech is going to have to fill that void, and I think it will, and, and DeFi will fill that void. I talked to a really cool business the other day that, is doing some really cool peer-to-peer -peer lending on, on DeFi. So, so much brightness. Oh man, I got to run to a lunch. But um, as always, best hour of my week. Best hour of my week, my friend. Best and, hour uh, of my week. I will see you soon in Permissionless. That'll be really one, fun. Yeah, I, I, we will be together in, te in Texas. That's awesome. Yeah, we got to um, do a live one of these. I'm, oh, I'm awesome. going to hold us to this. Yeah, we got to do the first right. ever live roundup. That would be a lot of fun. Awesome. So, yeah. All right, Mark, I know you got to run. I'll see you soon. All right, be good. 